0: to the Daily Devotion. My name is Kevin. I'm the pastor of Christ Church Conway, a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America here in Conway, Arkansas. The Daily Devotion is a time for us to be strengthened in our faith through the study of Scripture and theology. It's Sermon Sunday, so today we will post the sermon that was preached this morning at Christ Church Conway. That we might believe Your Word. That we might learn to look to Christ. To hear what He is saying. And not be astonished and offended, but to believe. We ask this in Christ's most precious name. Amen. This sermon is going to be a sermon that that is mostly about unbelief. I will, of course, come around and and remind us of what faith is, but, but this passage really helps us understand what unbelief is. And it's an important sermon for us to hear because this is something that we all struggle with at some level or another, and many times despair because we struggle with it. And the reason we struggle with it so mildly sometimes is because we have bad definitions that we're working with in our mind. In in what seems like, for me, a completely different life, I was briefly a middle school teacher and, and headmaster of this small Christian school. And one of the families there that had children in my class, they had an older child who had all kinds of physical maladies. One that he had that that they were most troubled by was that he was blind. He couldn't see. And so, of course, this made life incredibly difficult. And his parents were very, very devoted parents. They loved their children incredibly well and did everything that they knew to do to help them, including seeking out faith healers. They were solid believers and, and they would but, but they wanted their child healed. And so they would go anytime a Benny hinn type character would come anywhere near where they lived, they would make the journey to the, the gathering, hoping that their son would be healed. and he never was. And they struggled because what they were told, again and again and again, was that the problem was they just didn't have enough faith. Now this is a a horrible abuse of the position that the ministers who were telling them this were in. But it led to them to this constant struggle with their faith. Because if they didn't have enough faith for their son to be healed, how could they be sure that they had enough faith to be saved? And it was a constant struggle for them. This is an extreme example, and I realize that. But it's, it's an extreme example that is illustrative of a reality that we all at some level deal with. Do I believe enough? Do I have enough faith? And when we start asking those questions, we're, we're, we're getting very much off track. Now, yes, I understand that, that the Bible teaches that, that there it seems like there are degrees of faith, that, that some people have this gift of faith and, and just can trust God for anything. It's, it's listed as a spiritual gift. But we've got to be careful with how we deal with these things. Because the Bible also says, following the, the story of the transfiguration and at other places, that if you have Faith the size of a mustard seed. It's enough. You don't need faith the size of a coconut. That's the second largest seed. The largest seed, I didn't know what it was. It's a different type of poem. Y'all wouldn't have known either. But it's like twice the size of a coconut. You don't need coconut-sized faith for it to count. Mustard seed does the job just fine. And so when we talk about unbelief, and when we say help our unbelief, what we must understand is that it doesn't depend on us, first of all. And second of all, the unbelief that led to Jesus not working, as we see in this passage, wasn't an unbelief of degrees, but a complete unbelief in who he was and what he claimed. That was the issue. It wasn't that these people didn't have enough faith. It was that they didn't have faith at all. It wasn't that they didn't have coconut-sized faith. They didn't have mustard seed And that's the issue. And that's the tragedy of of what this family that I mentioned earlier was being taught. Is they were being told, no, 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 you've got to have the coconut-sized faith if you want your child healed. And when we go down that line of thinking, when we go down that path, we turn faith into a law and it crushes us. Because we realize immediately, I, I don't know what else to do to make my faith bigger. I don't know how that works. But we try, and it crushes us. When we come to this passage, it's, it's very helpful. Jesus shows up in this synagogue and he starts teaching on the Sabbath, what we would call Saturday. He starts teaching and people hear him. But they don't appreciate what he has to say. And it says that they were astonished. There's a lot of references and overlap with different passages in Isaiah, like in Isaiah 52 and 53, where it says that many were astonished at him. That's what's going on here. And so they start asking these skeptical questions. Where did this man get these things? They're not asking this like the Bereans, let's search the scriptures and see if it is so. They're asking these from the the standpoint of skepticism. Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? In other words, all all of these questions can be summed up with this. Who does this guy think he is to show up here with us who, who probably... Some of them were looking at him going, listen, Jesus, I used to change your diapers. How about you take it down a notch? We we, we forget that that's how human he was, right? And we know that when he showed up in the synagogue, it rarely, from the teachings that we do have, was to encourage them and say, hey, way to go. Rather, he would show up and read some hard prophecy from Isaiah and then look at him and say, this has been fulfilled in your sight. And they didn't like that. They didn't like what he was saying. They were astonished by it. And this word is used both in a positive sense of being astonished, amazed, like how wonderful he is, and it's used in a negative sense. And here we see, because we see the next thing they were was offended, that it's a negative astonishment. Is he really saying what I think he's saying? Did he really just say that that prophecy that he read from the scroll of Isaiah was now, because of him, fulfilled? This carpenter? The, the brother of these people? Her son? This guy that we used to watch? No. Does he really saying that? And that's the first step in unbelief. If we can think of it in steps for the purposes of this sermon, we will. It's when we hear the teachings of Christ, when we hear the teachings of the Bible, and are saying, is it really saying that? And I don't mean in the sense of like, oh, there's some exegetical difficulty, and we need to do good thorough spade work to make sure we're interpreting the text right. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about those things where we're going, ah, does, it, does it really say that about homosexuality? Does it really say that? Does it really say that about submitting to governing authorities does it really say that about this issue or that issue does it really say that and we're asking not from a place of I want to make sure I get the word right so does it really say we're asking from a place of I mean come on we're not really going to do that are we nudge nudge wink wink Does it really say that? And then the next step that quickly follows when we hear the answer is, yeah, it does really say that. They took offense at Jesus. And this is where our question moves from, does it really say that to how dare? You say that. Jesus, how dare you demand that of me? How dare you exalt yourself to that position? How dare? How dare you say that? And we take offense at what God's word says. See, this. This is the the structure of unbelief. Astonishment and offense at what God teaches us. It it may be for some astonishment and offense at who Jesus is. Does it really say he's the son of God? Does it really say that he did miracles? How, How dare you demand that we believe the miraculous, for this to be true. It it may be astonishment and offense at just something that he calls us to that is difficult. Does it really say that we're to be holy as he is holy? How dare he demand that of me? He knows I can't do that. It may be astonishment and offense at some particular teaching, some particular hot-button issue. Does it really say that homosexuality is a sin? How dare you make such a bigoted statement, Jesus? Does it really say that we're to submit to governing authorities? How dare you call me to submit to someone that I don't agree with across the board? You're binding my conscience. Does it really say that? Or it might be the other way. It might be his grace and his mercy that we're offended with does it really say there's a place for sinners like that in the church? How dare we give them a seat at the table? Does it really say that we're to love those people? How dare Jesus demand that I extend grace to them. Does it really say I'm to love my enemy? This one who has hurt me? And that I'm to pray for them? How dare God call me to such a place of vulnerability? See, that's the anatomy of unbelief. Astonishment and offense at what Jesus teaches us. Astonishment and offense at who he is. Astonishment and offense at what he calls his people to. That's the structure of unbelief. And we know that's the structure of it because when we get to verse 6... After going through this and and, and Jesus making this statement, picking up on, on what was probably just a common proverb, it wasn't from the Old Testament, and saying a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. After kind of recognizing what was going on, it says that he marveled at their unbelief. See, that's how Jesus understands their astonishment and offense at Him. As He sees it as their unbelief. And He marvels at it. And the result of it, the the result of of their unbelief, is it tells us in verse 5, He could do no mighty work there, except He laid His hands on a few sick people and healed them. Now, this should stand, I mean, this should just go, wait a minute. This should open our eyes for a second. Because as we've been going through the book of Mark, it's just been mighty work after mighty work. It's been this anthology of the things that Jesus has authority over. He's shut up demons. He has calmed storms. He has healed lepers. He has healed this woman with blood. He has conquered, I mean, just nothing stood in his way. There was nothing that was presented to him about which he said. Oh yeah, I can't I can't do that, Jairus. Sorry, man. Yeah, disciples, y'all better real harder. I don't know what to do here. Nothing. And, and that's the point of, of what we get to here. Is to see what Mark wants us to see here is that Jesus not being able to work was the result of their unbelief. But here's where we've got to be very careful. It wasn't the result of their mustard seed size belief. That wasn't the issue. He didn't look at them and say, you know what? Y'all believe, but not enough for me to heal you. I'm so sorry. I'll be back around again in a couple months, and maybe by then you will have learned to believe enough to be healed. That's not what it says at all. It says they didn't believe. So when we say that Unbelief, and when Mark tells us here that unbelief was, was the reason that Jesus wasn't able to work, we must hear exactly what he's saying. They didn't believe. Hard stop. It wasn't slight belief that was the problem. It wasn't immature belief that was the problem. It was unbelief. And see, that's the glory of the Christian life. is that Jesus isn't looking for us, and our confession says this, that we're justified not because our faith is reckoned to us as a work. No, no, no. Not at all. That's not what's happening here. We're we're justified because of what Christ has done by grace through faith. Faith, yes, is the instrument. But what we find is that the most meager faith does the trick. And that's the glory of the gospel. But then what we find on top of that is that even that faith is a gift from God. And that's all the more the glory of the gospel the most meager faith, and that, a gift from God, does the trick. Mustard seed sized faith. This is why as we're going to see in Mark chapter 9 when we get there, Lord willing, that there's this dad that comes and he has the freedom to pray I believe, help my unbelief. That's the glory of understanding that the problem here in Nazareth, the reason Jesus isn't able to heal except for those few people that we can assume did believe, the reason he wasn't able to hear wasn't slight belief, it was unbelief. That gives us the freedom of that daddy in Mark 9. To go to our Father, to go to our Savior, to come to church and sing, Help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. Because one, mustard seed is all that's needed, and two, It's God who provides the faith in the first place by which we are justified. So what we see happening here in Mark 6 isn't an indictment. It's not an indictment because of slight faith. It's an indictment because of lack of faith. So we come back to our scriptural warning that we read earlier. We must pay much closer attention to these things. Why? Because that's how the Spirit works faith in us. And so here's the comfort for you this morning and for me this morning. I don't have to doubt because of my slight faith that I will be justified. I don't have to doubt because of my meager faith, because it's not robust and undaunted that God loves me. I don't have to wonder if because I don't come with enough faith, if there's not a seat for me at this table. This is why I say every week, every week, don't let the weakness of your faith keep you from that which is given to us to strengthen us in our faith the joy of the gospel is that it so utterly depends on God that whatever faith he gives us even if it's the smallest drop it's enough It's enough. And we stand forgiven. We stand justified in Christ by faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this passage that reminds us that the distinction isn't between weak and strong faith, but between a lack of faith and any faith at all. And so we look to you once again and ask that you would help our unbelief. And that with the faith that you give us, we would rest confidently in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Amen.